Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I am the host of Association 4.0 podcast. I'm also the founder and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations and co-founder of .org Community. This podcast is about innovation in association industry and strategies for success in the digital markets. I talk with people who are leading that charge. Today, my guest is Jamie Notter. Jamie is co-founder and culture strategist at Propel. He helps associations create amazing workplace cultures that drive breakthrough performance and impact. Jamie brings 25 years of experience to his work. He also specializes in areas like conflict resolution and generations. Jamie is co-author of three books, Humanize, When Millennials Take Over, and The Non-Obvious Guide to Employee Engagement. Wow, that's an impressive bio, Jamie. Uh, so I got to up and do it. It's 30 years, I think, of experience. Oh, 30 years. All right. Um, anyway. <laughs> I keep trying to make us younger than we are. So, <laughs> um, so culture is the topic of the moment. Um, so we're very interested in hearing your thoughts today. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited. Great. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, Sure. So our company is called Propel and Maddie, Grant and I have been in the association space, uh, me for 20 years now, uh, which is also hard to believe. Uh, Maddie may be 15, but um, we've done different things over the years and called ourselves different names. You may have known us as Culture That Works or WorkXO. We like to, we have a serial rebranding issue. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is our passion and our focus is on workplace culture. And we believe very strongly that workplace culture is probably the biggest source for differentiating yourself as an organization and as, and as an employer uh, today. And the organizations that do it well, I see surviving and thriving in these weird times. And the organizations that ignore it, I see struggling. And so we're still pre-pandemic, during pandemic, post-pandemic, we think that um, organizational culture is the area that, that um, the smart organizations are paying attention to and the average organizations are not. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit, Jamie, more about what role that culture plays in organizational success. So culture, and like I have my, uh, I know this is a podcast, but if I had a slide, I could give you my one slide definition of culture, but it's the words, actions, thoughts, and stuff that clarifies and reinforces what is truly valued inside an organization, right? So like we talk about our culture, we have behaviors in our organizations, we have assumptions that we make, we have tangible parts of work like dress code or, or office design. All of that stuff communicates to your employees exactly what's valued because what's, and when they know what's valued, that drives their behavior. Like mm -hmm. that's why this is so important. Once you get, once you're an employee and you know, okay, what's valued is making the CEO look good, then that's what they're going to do, right? And the CEO will be saying, oh no, that's not what we value. We're all about member service and this, that, and the other, but everyone knows, no, what's valued is that. And so yeah. that's going to get my attention and that's going to drive my behavior. 
And that's why if you keep culture at a high level and vague and, you know, sort of the broad core values, that stuff is nice, but it doesn't clarify the, the what's valued piece because that and that drives the behavior. And so if it's the behavior that makes or break your success. So you need to be really more laser sharp to say, no, we value these kinds of behaviors in these contexts. And that's what makes us win. And that's what our culture is. And if you don't like that, you should go find somewhere else to work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so has the pandemic experience changed your thoughts on culture at all? Um, no, I mean, if anything, it's reinforced it. Um, I think uh, the pandemic experience is a reminder that in sort of moments of crisis, culture quite naturally takes a back seat. You know what I mean? Like if you go back yeah. to 2020 in the association space, what mattered was figuring out how to put on a virtual event. <laughs> right. That's what everybody did. That's you know, all and the we focus. All had to do that. And then we had to go to hybrid and then we yeah. had to go, you know, like it, and those, those were real crises, right? Like you, you, you had so much revenue and, 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 you know, based on that meeting, et cetera, et cetera, that you had to figure that out. Um, what I wish more organizations would have done is immediately after that initial crisis found a way to take a pause and say, what did this do to our culture? And yeah. we haven't been able to do that. We've been running full speed for two years, you know, yeah. um, and, and people are feeling burned out now. And so I think the opportunity we've missed, because it's not like you need to take two months off to figure out what this did to your culture. You just need like some focused conversations on it that you yeah. can fit in in a couple of week period. Say, we you you know I I actually feel like it's a huge opportunity to dismiss this association community was unbelievably agile in 2020 and 21, and that community is not known for being agile. Right. We're the we're the we've always done it way that way, people. Yet we immediately pivoted. Everyone hates that word, I know, but we pivoted and did these amazing things. And what we the opportunity we missed is said, hey, what if we did that all the time? but in a sustainable, not hair on fire way. What right. were the elements? How did we make that happen, right? I, I guarantee you there are organizations out there that if they'd stopped, they said, wait a minute, we did this because it was all hands on deck and we, we erased our silo lines for about two months and we all made it happen together. Like, what if we could build that? You don't have to do it like the hair on fire piece, but what if we could build that concept into our culture more permanently, right? Yes. And they could, they could be more adaptive not just on, we have to change our meeting, adaptive to how you do governance, adaptive to how you do your membership strategy, adaptive to non-dues revenue, you know what I mean? So many opportunities that we're now like letting go and everyone's like, you know what, I just wanna get back to normal. Right, and well, to your point, it's like everybody's, we, everyone was here on fire and nobody then took a pause and to me, it was an exciting time because you and I being entrepreneurial, you talk about rebranding, like we move, 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 right? Like, right. but we saw associations do that. So we know like it can happen, but you're right. Now we're getting back to, oh, we're tired and this was a lot. So let's just do what we did before because we were, we were fine there. So, um, so that's, you know, some really good points if they were just paused take a pause and say, you know, how can we continue to do this? I think is, is um, really some good, important thoughts that, that something I haven't thought about um, until you've just now said it. So. Well, I'll also add, I mean, it's not just that they should have taken a pause, which they should have. 
but they should have done it because the world changed in a pretty right. drastic way. And the work world has changed in a pretty drastic way. So the other lesson is that your culture, even if it's awesome in 2019, you have to change it because it's 2022 now and it's the world is different and the work world is different. And so this is a general truth about culture. You are always changing it because the world is always changing. So everyone, you know, there are some things about your culture that you can hold, hold on to and, and sort of, you know, be your core. Um, but uh, certainly around the edges, you should be shifting and morphing because when the world changes, if you don't change your culture, then the culture creates friction. And again, I feel like people haven't figured that out because they put culture in the back seat. You got to keep it upfront enough so that when you realize, ooh, our membership has changed, they have different expectations, therefore our culture has to shift. Or in this case, the world has been completely transformed, the world of work, and we have to now decide what our culture is going to be in this new environment. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit, Jamie. So when you talk about the world of work, you know, many groups that I know that we're working with are struggling to be flexible about remote work and keeping employees enthusiastic and motivated. So what advice do you have for them? And what are some non-obvious strategies for what, you know, employee engagement? Well, I think on the customization piece, I think that's one of the biggest changes that happened in the last two years that I think is permanent. Like when, you know, in 2020, the association world specifically, not every industry did this obviously, but we send everybody home, right? Right. And I've got a client that had most people back in in the office by August of 2020. So some folks went back early, most stayed all remote through that year and and most of 21 as well because of Delta and Omicron and all that. Um, And now they're trying to figure out how to go back. When we let everyone work at home, you're an entrepreneur. We learned this a long time ago. It's really efficient and Mm -hmm. productive and satisfying to control your own workday and your own schedule and how you do your work and where you do it and when you do it. And we, of course, told employees that that's too impossible for us to manage as organizations. We can't have only those entrepreneurs can do that. You can't. Well, it turns out you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once we gave that power to employees, they're not going to give it back. And that's not to say that people won't come back to the office. I think people will. A lot of people like working from the office and there's a lot of work that is better done together in a building, right? So, but, that you, but you have to decide as a culture, am I going to try and go back to the standardized rules of 2019 or not? Or how far back do I want to go? Um, and I'll tell you right now, I used to phrase that as a, you know, you decide. You want to go back to 19 or do you want to be all remote or, you, you know, or all flexible? You want to be somewhere in between? At bare minimum, you need to be somewhere in between. If, and if you choose to go back to traditional, uh, you will lose your best people, like period. So that's that. I mean, I used to be sort of, media, you know, not conclusive on that one. The flexibility, somebody put flexibility is the new signing bonus. Like if, oh, if, for sure. if you don't have that, you're not in the running. For sure. Well, yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're still remote. And the thought, we just asked them to be on site for training and the staff's pushing back and they're like, they don't want to even come on site for the training. So I'm getting them back to the office full time. They, they've already said, well, you know, their culture is not great. So they're like, well, we can find other, other jobs somewhere else. Um, well, and, and, and what, but what organizations should be doing is saying, ah, 
what, how would we use our office space to its maximum potential? What would we be doing in the office if we were all together? Training is a good example because I've, you know, I've tried to do three hour trainings on, on Zoom or Teams and it's a nightmare. Yeah. Just, it is really hard from an energy point of room, view, energy in the room makes a difference when you're, it depends on the training, of course, but like, you know, if it's tech training, maybe different, but um, there are certain things, an all day strategy retreat. You, you want that in a, in a location right. where people can walk in the halls and talk in between conversations. It like that, it just, there are certain things that are going to be better done there, but we're not thinking about how we would then design our office differently to go back and do that work. Like, we're like, oh no, we just need to, okay, you don't have to come in every day, every day. How about two days a week? That's all I'm hearing. Two days a week. I said, what does that, what does that solve? Right. Have you done, have you done that? Have you gone two days a week and realized you're sitting next to 75% empty offices? Right. You know, like, why do I have all these offices? And then I, there's no place to work because I can't go in Bob's office. It's still his office, even though he's not there. Like we haven't. And people said, I heard at a conference yesterday, they were like, someone said, you know, I'm hearing that people don't like this hoteling thing where you, you know, you don't have your, your own desk. You have, you go in and, and you, you get a desk for the day you're in and it's just not working for people. I'm like, it's not, well, but how are you doing it? Are right. you literally do you make sure that every workstation has exactly the same amount of supplies and materials on it? Are you make putting a place near, near every desk where they can go get the supplies or are you making it hard on them? You're just sort of leaving empty workstations and saying, go work. Like we're not being intentional about redesigning. And that's just like the office space piece, but it applies to your, all of your processes and your culture as well. We're not redesigning the way we do work to match today's reality. I think if we did that, people, your first question about engagement, people would be engaged if they realized when I show up at the office, I have exactly the, the, the equipment I need to get my work done. And it's comfortable and I can go have that quiet space over there, or I can go sit at a table and talk with the six people that happen to be in the office today over there. And then I have a place where I, yeah, I'm gonna have to do some Zoom calls, even though I'm in the office, cause that's a reality, but I have a comfortable place to do that with the right screen and sound. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Just not being intentional about it. We're just kind of like throwing everyone back to the office, but changing how often we're there. Yeah. It's almost like, well, we have a building. So everybody come back to the office two days so that we feel good about the fact that we have a building. Right. <laughs> but um, so let, talk to me a little bit of, more about this, Jamie, like what are the opportunities do you see to build a better workplace environments and, and stronger employee performance. I mean, I know um, I talked to an organization that was that was doing this prior to the pandemic, um, where they had kind of what they call hoteling. And there are people that just want to be at the office. They're an editor. They want to be in an office, shut a door, have a space, um, do their work, and then go home. You know, we all know people that have way too many disruptions at home. Would rather be right. in an office environment, but. Um, you know, in general, like, I guess, you know, what kind of give me some of your thoughts? I mean, I think that, you know, everyone asked me for best practices on this. Yeah. I'm like, dude, there is, there are no best <laughs> practices. I don't like best practices in general, but there's definitely not any around this. Um, but if I were leaning in that direction, I actually point to Mark Anderson and the American Society for Surgery of the Hand in Chicago, because he redid his office space way before the pandemic. Yeah. And it contains what I think are some of these these concepts that work around customization and, and, 
and flexibility around employee work experience. So he had a little space where you could do quiet work by yourself. He had multiple size rooms where you could close the door and do work, but they had open areas too. They had Wi-Fi on the roof if you wanted to work up there. I mean, they were only, I forget, 22 people maybe um, when I was doing the research there, but that concept of you're gonna have to design your space to have little pockets for every, not every outcome, every possible need, but a lot of needs. Cause you're gonna have, you can't just do an open space. You're gonna have people who, who come in every day and need an office cause they're there every day. They don't need a hotel. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're gonna need some hoteling spaces to fill that other option. Uh, you're gonna need quiet places for people to work. Like it's, it's, it's gonna, stress out a little bit, I think, the, um, your, your design parameters, because you only have so much space, but you're not going to need the same number of offices. Like, this is my number one, not best practice, but advice. We're going to abandon the idea, for the most part, with exceptions, of personally owned real estate in the office. Like, you're not going to have that office or that cube with your pictures and your plant. And so, like, I think that part's going away. So you got to figure out, like, you can find other ways for places, people to customize places in the office, but it's not like we're going to be that because that's actually extremely inefficient in a hybrid world, right? Like if everyone's in the office all the time, you can design it that way, but we got to, we got to abandon that and start creating like multifaceted workspaces so that people can get what they need when they need it in the office. So JB, what do you think are the challenges in getting there for organizations? I mean, I think one of the biggest is around um, collaboration and, and how collaboration happens inside the organization. Every, everyone I meet says they value collaboration. I mean, who would not say that, right? Like we all think collaboration is a good idea. Uh, we don't all define it very well. And so it's not just the office space part of it where you have to have some flexibility. You have to learn how to do collaboration in multiple contexts, including online. And that includes, like I divide collaboration into at least two parts. There's the task-focused collaboration, like we're gonna meet on a project and get stuff done. And then there's the relationship part of it. Right. Mm Because you've gotta have strong relationships to do collaboration well. We've underestimated how much time and energy we spent building relationships with each other on internally in order to get more collaboration done. And we also used to do that all in person, right? Right. Around the lunch table, water cooler conversations. This is what I hear. Everyone's like, I miss the water cooler conversations. We need to have it. I was talking to someone yesterday and he said, that's your most efficient way to, to have information and relationship building is to hope that people randomly connect around the water cooler. Like, really? And I think there's plenty of ways to do that online. I mean, you can create a water cooler meeting on Zoom. And just if someone wants to go take a break, you literally get some water from your kitchen tap and go to the Zoom room and see if anyone's there and chat with them. It's like, it's not the same, but it's not hard. And I feel like there's a bunch of pieces of collaboration that we're ignoring because we want to go do it in person. Um, Mm -hmm. But to our earlier point, you're never going to have the same number of people in the office, right? So we got to figure out how to do our mostly that organic stuff, the stuff that just emerges. That's right. really important for collaboration. I do think those water cooler conversations were important back in the office in the old days. We need to figure out how to do that organic stuff 
um, in a virtual environment, uh, in addition to doing it when we're in person, because because we're hybrid forever now. Yeah, well, you've changed my thinking on that, um, Jamie, because I've been making the case now as a our consultancy, we've always been virtual and we but we would go on site to client meetings and there were things that I would hear or learn about that were very important to the projects that we were working on. So my argument of getting back to the office is we're missing things, um, one. And then the second was, you know, we all know we've gotten still in the great resignation for whatever reason, but one of my hypothesis was that we've lost those connections, right? We're in Zoom to Zoom to Zoom having meetings. Well, I'm no longer going to lunch with Jamie or having a drink after work or whatever. So when I quit my job, it's just a job. You're not, the relationships aren't as strong. Um, But to your point, we haven't thought through how to create that, those connections and that engagement online. And you're right, it's going to take some creativity of getting that done, but can it be done? I think you're right. And now I'm going to kind of well, start thinking yeah. about that and brainstorming on that a bit myself. No, I, I mean, I agree. I feel, Cause I remember right after 2020, one of my clients was like, you know, I'm tired because every conversation I have with a colleague now is transactional, right? The only reason I am getting on a call with you is a, we've scheduled it. So it's very, right. and we have a t- I need this information from you. Even if it's a five minute call, I got to schedule it, put it on Zoom. We get our teams or whatever we get on. We have the conversation. We're done. Um, And that was sort of by necessity because we were all dealing with working remotely. Um, And again, I I think this is actually where where entrepreneurs who have been doing this for a long time can be a resource. Like we've kind of figured out a different rhythm with our Zoom meetings over the years. We were doing them before the pandemic because we're, you know, one or two per people shops or small organizations. We've got clients all over the country, whatever, like we're used to this. Um, we just have to build in structures and processes that enable that relationship building. And then actually this goes back to the office piece. If you want to bring people back to the office, do it intentionally for relationship building. Mm-hmm. Like actually, like, you know, the, some folks have chosen to start anyway with like, you know what, and particularly small organizations, everyone comes in on Wednesday. Let's just do that. So it's just one day, but I know I got everybody there. Right. And, and, you know, I've, I've had clients that were, that were half remote pre pandemic, but they bring everyone together at least twice a year. And those are, you know, sort of like a week in the summer and a week in the winter. And those are like all team building. You know, there, it's like, it's like staff week. Yeah. So there's training and there's, you know, happy hours and a dinner and like, so it's a little, it's a little, you know, concentrated, but it is intentional that says when we are together, we can maximize that relationship building activity. It's actually more efficient to do it when we're in to the same space for a long period of time. Um, but we can't do that every week. So what do we do the other weeks? And you got to have these informal things. I keep telling people, no one's, I should trademark this. I'm sure <laughs> other people are doing it, but like create a lunch Zoom room. And literally I go get my lunch, my sandwich. I sit at my computer. I go to that room and I eat my lunch. And if no one's there, it's like I'm sitting in the kitchen by myself at the office. And that's fine. Oh, that's a good one. And if someone yeah. shows up like, hey, how's it going? And then we could just sit there and eat in silence if we wanted to, just like we would have in the kitchen in the office, you know? But like it, that, that's so easy. 
right? And that doesn't require a huge change in behavior. But I think over time, that's going to, those kinds of things are going to have a really big impact. And stop scheduling meetings over the lunch period, right? No, well, (laughs) I'll say you didn't ask about this, but I'll put it out there. One of the other big issues right now is that when we all went home, we all be, we all became very um, efficient. Like this is something that entrepreneurs have known. When you can schedule your own time, you can get a lot more done per day without having to be forced to sit in office. And there's that hour when you're really not focused, but you're at the office. So you just sit there being not focused, right? So right. like we can be more efficient. All the employees just learned this. They've been super efficient and we've pushed them to the max. Yes. So for two years, they've been more efficient and they're burned out. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the problem. We're all going to start going back to the office again, not all the time, but we're going to have more networking meetings. We're going to have more meetings with vendors. We're going to be going to conferences again. Like now we're not going to have the same kind of time that we did before and we're already burned out and no one's going to ratchet back the expectations of, of productivity. And I think that's going to be cause a real problem. I think organizations need to look at how much they're doing right now and cut it. Yeah, that's a good point. Cut what you're doing by 20%. Like get ready to do that. To get ready to tell your board, I can't deliver what I was delivering last year because it we it's physically impossible. Um, because you got to give your people space to learn how to be a little less efficient as we do more things in person. Yeah, because you know, now I mean the world went from drive commuting to an office to going out for lunch to commuting back. And now, you know, people are rolling out in the morning and getting started and sometimes not getting off their computer till late working through lunch. And yeah, you're, you're right. That's, that's a very valid point that people need to be, I mean, probably people are realize that, but they're not intentional as you the words that you're using, like intentional thinking, okay, how are we moving forward and what's going to change? And we were all, again, the hair on fire piece meant we all did pretty amazing things in the last year. And, and, and that felt good that we accomplished so much and, and changed so much in such a short amount of time. Um, What we didn't, I don't think what people are realizing is we did that with the boost in productivity. And we're going to lose some of that productivity as we do more in person, which means there's going to be a bigger gap of burnout. Um, And again, the great resignation is not going away. People can work anywhere in the country now, or a large number of them can, which means there are simply many more job opportunities than there used to be, which means there's going to be a lot of transitions. So you got to get used to that. Yeah. Um, Again, that's back to my original point. That's to me why culture is so important. Culture is why people will stay with you. So with that, Jamie, I guess, you know, what can leaders do right now to position their organizations for success? So um, I did a blog post not too long ago about creating a culture elevator pitch. And I think or I think leaders need to be more in tune with the fact that their employees, many of whom are currently interviewing for other jobs, by the way, they didn't tell you that, but they are. Um they're considering leaving. And when they're considering leaving, they're looking at another organization whose culture they don't know. And they're a little nervous about that. And the other organization is going to sell them on their culture and say how awesome it is, which may or may not be true. But they know what your culture is like. And they know whether you're paying attention to it. And I think that's the first step for, for any CEO or CEO, actually anyone in the C-suite, 
you need to be able to give a quick answer to say, you know what, we're working on our culture in these ways. Because your culture may not be perfect right now and everybody has been reeling in the last two years. So don't expect to be able to say, hey, by the way, here's our culture. Here's exactly why it's so awesome and so perfect. No one's gonna be able to say that right now, except right. a few that worked on it five years ago. But they, you can say, you know, our culture, it's we've been reeling, but here's what we're doing to make sure that our culture keeps up. I'm actually convening some staff, some staff teams to talk about where's our culture getting in the way? Where do you think our culture needs to go? And we're gonna pull together a, a short list of some quick actions, some quick wins we can do uh, that will make sure our culture is keeping pace with what's going on. That is easy to do and it's easy to say, um, but you gotta you know, back it up with the actions. And I think, I think leaders, this is the time for leaders to say, don't fix your, you don't have to fix your whole culture in the next two weeks, but you need to start looking for where is it messing with you? Where is it messing with success? Because everybody's got areas of culture friction like that. And if you start fixing a few of the small ones, those people who are interviewing are like, you know, I don't know about that culture over there, but at least this group is trying, you know, like at least yeah. they're working in the right direction and I can have some confidence in that. So coming up with a roadmap and some quick wins, I think is, is, is really paramount right now for leaders. Well, it's interesting as you, as you're talking about this, Jamie, I just started, I just started thinking about um, my daughter. She is a junior um, going to business school um, at college and they actually, anyway, she's part of a program where they took her on a field trip in Chicago. And it was all about the different cultures in, within companies. And she came back and she was telling me a story about how she went to this financial company. And one of the, the um, students said, you know, like, what is your, how's your work-life balance? And this financial company said, well, there really isn't any work-life balance, like works integrated with life. And, but she talked about how they fed her this fancy lunch and that they gave them this fancy merchandise and all of these things and how these people were, were millionaires. And that was very impressive to her. And then she went to a smaller mom and pop design firm, which she thought was very cool. But it was about, you know, she's like, their merch wasn't as good. And they gave us snacks because they <laughs> did some branding work for some snack company. Um, but that was fun. And so well, we had a conversation about it. But that was what she was learning, which was very interesting to me because I was like, wow, I got out of college and just like hope to get a job. Right. Like <laughs> I wouldn't have these choices of I want to work for a fancy financial company or a fun design for a marketing firm. Right. So it is a, it's an interesting conversation. And I think you're right for associations. That's a challenge because we're competing with both of those examples that I just just talked about. Right. Well, and I would say, I mean, you're talking about sort of millennials and cusp of the next generation, but but both of those generations, millennials started this, and I think the generation after millennials uh, is going to take it to another level. Actually, they are looking for different things in work, like right. you know, Gen X and Boomers were like, "Get me a job," and. Millennials were the first to say, no, I want to have more involvement. I want to have be listened to. I want to have more access to people. Um, and the, I think the generation after that is going to be like, I don't care about your snacks. How, <laughs> how are you saving the world? Right. You know? how, like, <laughs> what does this mean to me? Right. And, and, and again, the leadership is not used to that. 
Um, so I, I think the next generation is definitely raising the bar in saying, show me what your culture is. But even at the sort of Gen X senior to mid to senior manager level, because I think that's the people that are at the most risk in the great resignation right now and the hardest ones for organizations to replace. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are tough people, the ones that have the experience and know what they're doing and and have the track record. And it's hard to get someone up, you know, up and running immediately. Those are people that you should be answering the question, hey, here's what we're doing in our culture, because it's going to make you more successful in your role. You make that pitch to a Gen X manager and they'll stay. Right. It's like what I want to be is successful. I want to be able to, 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 and you know, they'll still have demands around flexible workplace and that kind of stuff. But ultimately that flexible workplaces, cause they're like, cause I'm more successful when I do that. I'm successful personally. I'm meeting my own personal life goals, but I'm also getting the job done. Right. Uh, and I'm helping our organization be successful and have a bigger impact on our industry because you designed a culture that made it easier for me. If you can do that, like, again, there's, that's a big task. If you're going to do that for everybody in your organization, that's going to take a little bit, little bit of time, but you can make a pitch to your employees that says, look, it's been a crazy two years, but I want to make sure our culture is up to date. So here's my roadmap for the next two quarters. Here's my roadmap for six months. Uh, there's some quick wins that I think we can get done next quarter. And there's some other stuff I want to start that might take a little bit longer, but it's all designed to make this place an organization where everyone can be successful from the top to the entry level. Anyone who can make that pitch believably, you are not going to be the problem. You're not going to have a problem with the great resignation. You're going to be the place where people want to go. go. Yeah. That's what your goal should be. Stop trying yeah. to keep people by like giving them snacks, right? <laughs> right? Forget the snacks. <laughs> and even pay rate, like pay raises are important and people listen to that. That's not, I'm not saying that's not important, but I would never stop with that. I would say, I would say, I would, I, I, other people can beat your pay, you know, yeah. out there, but they, they, they can beat your culture too, but it's harder to, for them to convince the employee on that employee knows your culture. So you start doing that right. And I think it becomes a much more, uh, much bigger, like uh, gravitational pull that keeps them with you. That's a great point. Um, so another kind of a little bit different question I have for you is, do you see association uh, organizational structures changing because of the pandemic or just in general just in general you know it's just a new world of work you know i hear people are asking me questions like um you know why don't can i hire enough people and you know talking about how a lot of people want to freelance or a lot of people want more a ton of flexibility or you know there's been i know a lot of women who have decided that they don't need to make as much money and they only want to work part-time, but they still want to be engaged. And, and I don't see associations leveraging those types of folks that may have experience, but only want to work 20 hours a week from home or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I have nothing other than anecdotal stuff. Um, I, I don't see that that's the first place people are going in terms of solutions, right. Is thinking, Oh, what if I could turn this into two part-time positions? Mm -hmm. um, what if I could rely more significantly on contractors for this? Because it's going to be, I can, this can be harder to find someone who wants to do all this work for 40 hours a week. You know, um, I, I, that's been in the association space, you know, for a while. I don't, I don't know that I see that changing. 
I think um, if anything, associations are behind the curve. Uh, I think on that one, where where I think associations are are pretty traditional around around structure and roles and responsibilities, um, and they err on the side of just not defining them that clearly. Yeah. Right. Like to in order to do that, you gotta you gotta be really in like proactive and almost creative in understanding who does what and when. And we're not that way. We're kind of like, you know, I'm in marketing, so I get to write all the marketing copy. Right. Right. And it's like, well, I'm in education and I know the content. So we're just going to fight about it for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Rather than like coming up with a, a cross-functional way to bring in consultants to do it differently. You know what I mean? I just. Right. We're still in the fighting about it uh, stage. Um it's one of the most dominant culture patterns I see in associations is we're very collaborative as individuals. We help each other out, but we are not collaborative in in associations as groups, either groups of levels in the hierarchy or groups of, you know, functional areas. Yeah. 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 I would agree. I would agree with with that as well. Um, So Jamie, I know I talked to you the other day a little bit about, technology and what we're seeing with challenges with technology and that their impact um, positively or negatively um, on culture. So I guess to put it in a positive light, you mentioned a couple ways that we can use technology, um, but how does technology play a role in strengthening culture? Well, it's, it's one of the things that we measure in our culture assessment. And I don't have any association specific data on this, but but most people are behind on the tech part. Yeah. Like, you know, we're getting by, but we're not, we're not advanced. Um, and so I don't even know that that's association it, specific challenge. I think everybody is, uh, you know, I mean, obviously some companies are more advanced than others, but a lot of organizations are going to struggle with, yeah, but it costs a lot of money to do that. Like, you know, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money to, to retrofit our conference rooms to with cameras. And it's and I don't want to pay, you know, for my employees to have good equipment to do Zoom meetings. I'm like, well, we're going to have to, you know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. or the ones that figured out, again, are going to be the places people go to in the great resignation, not the people, the places people leave. Um, so, and this is not a new message for associations, right? Like, We've been saying for 10 years, you guys are slow on, 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 you know, technology investment. Um, and if you, and on the cutting edge, all this sort of, you know, AI and blockchain stuff, like that's going to, that's going to get more mainstream. And we're still going to think that it's weird and off in the future, you know, like, yeah. And we're going to, I think we're going to miss out on that one too. So from a culture point of view, what people notice it. Right. People notice when we're behind on technology. Um, what's interesting, though, at least, well, this is pre-pandemic. Um, when, I, when I mirror that back to the association and say, or any client and say, here's your pattern around technology, and they see it, and then we go to the part of the project where we're like, well, what do we need to do about all this stuff? They rarely choose technology as an action item. Interesting just doesn't show up. They don't, they don't connect that to culture. I mean, they see it as a part of the culture, but it's not the part they want to fix. Hmm. And I haven't, I don't have a conclusion on that. It's just, 
it, it is, it, you know, it's not that it's never there. I, we had a client early on that like went all in on an intranet because they, they were, they were a big association because they're like, we got to communicate better on this and we got to use technology to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it does happen. Um, but, but, you know, overall, when looking at all the different action items that clients have, have made, the technology ones, uh, there's just not as many of them. So is there any kind of final thoughts that um, you want to share with our audience today, Jamie? I mean, I would just reinforce that I'm sensing this summer is going to be the time to show your people that, A, you care about culture, and B, that you are focused on employee needs. It's a piece of culture that honestly has been weak, not just in associations, but everywhere. It's one of the weakest pieces or the most traditional pieces of culture is that we really don't care about employee needs. Uh, and if you go back, you know, 150 years ago, whatever, like they didn't, like they would let their employees die in the factories. Like we really didn't care about employee needs back in the late 1800s, <laughs> early 1900s, right? Yeah. So we've progressed since then, but it's still low on the list. And again, the pandemic put it high on the list. Cause you have to make sure I'm not going to die. If I go to work, you have to, and now I I'm customizing my work experience. That is much more prevalent in people's minds. If you can show people that you're moving the needle on that specifically in the culture, I think you're going to um, get your employees attention and ultimately retain more of them. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Um, those are ideas that every leader can use. And uh, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So our website is at propelnow.co. There's no M at the end of that because we decided in this rebranding that we'd be cool and have a .co uh, <laughs> uh, thing. So it's propelnow.co and our contact information is all in there. All right, great. Um, and thanks to our listeners. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, to meet leaders like Jamie, consider joining .org community. And Jamie will also be at our conference that's coming up on June 9th, and we'll be presenting there. So if you want to learn more uh, from Jamie, um, join us in Downers Grove, Illinois. And um, I am looking forward to uh, seeing you there, Jamie, and hearing more of what you've got to say about culture, which is such an important topic for all of us to think about. I'm very excited to see you again in person. Can't wait. Thanks so much. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.